As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Show a little bit ill, so we had to sort of cancel at last minute. And we'll get the guests that we have planned on for next week on another time. Um, but we're live and direct now from London. It's... Um, the 20th of April during our odd times that we live in. Um, and so if you're listening to this on 20th at uh, 9pm UK time or whatever your equivalent is, we are live. It'd be lovely to hear from you. You can join in uh, with us. Um, drop me a line on plus four four seven five zero six three one nine seven four five on WhatsApp. Um, uh, if I like your question a lot, I'll even get you online. And join in the show and um we've got a great show this evening i'm really happy i got well enough to sort of be able to come and talk to chris chris duke um who is um our ex uh broadcaster i think still a broadcaster you've got your own um podcast now and i think you still do some radio um, but we'll talk about that and catch up mm-hmm. with what you're doing uh, an author a dad a yes. husband a general good guy a man who spends far too much money on microphones, we have discovered. <laughs> um, but it will add to the quality of the evening. Um, so it's um, great uh, to, and also a mental health advocate. I forgot that bit. That's that's why he's here. It's not his microphone. It's the mental health advocacy that he's, has brought him on to <laughs> us. But um, it's uh, really good to have you with us, Chris. Welcome to The Wellbeing Show. Do you know what? It's really good um, to be to be chatting to you as well. It's really nice. It's really nice to be doing something with my with my evenings for a change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, how many kids have you got, mate? Uh, I have uh, three three beautiful girls. Uh, my eldest is eleven, and my youngest is four. Right. Um, so I am I am well outnumbered in this household, <laughs> which is why which is why I've got two male dogs. <laughs> quite right you too um but uh, welcome on the show it's, it's really it's really good to have you you're i'm guessing from your accent that you're not in hackney like me no not from hackney anyway um no definitely not I'm, I'm away up the other side of the country yeah. um almost at the top I'm, I'm i'm in a little town called forfar which is um you're just 
just shy of Aberdeen. Yes. Um, in Aberdeenshire. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, a nice, nice part of the country. I've been up there quite a lot, actually. I used to live in um, Edinburgh. Um, I spent 10 years in Edinburgh, actually, sort of in the early days of my um, career, um, and did a lot of travelling around Scotland. Um, it's a, if people haven't been, you, you're really missing out on the tree. Scotland's a stunner. It really is. Um, and now it's a good time to go. The midges are not there at the moment. Yeah, not, not a little yet. bit later in the year, don't they? So don't yeah. midges turn up. It's horrible. Yeah, that's, that's when we all go on holiday is when the midges come up. Absolutely, on midge season, get out. <laughs> um, so, but but Scotland is um, a gorgeous place. And how has it been the last few years for you in terms of the pandemic and all that sort of stuff? Um, uh, well, what way to start? Uh, the the um, I mean, for everybody, the past few years has been rough for everybody. I mean, and it took it took me a long time to realise that. So, right. And I, yeah, I, I, I'm, that's the answer. Nobody's actually said that, but I get it. Go on, yeah, you explain what you mean. I, but I think I get I it. I took it. I took it personally. I thought, <laughs> why is this happening to me? <laughs> you know, um, because my my I had to. I ended up having to close my business, and you know, and and we ended up we lost we lost a lot of money, and you know, and these were important things at the time before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and. All of a sudden, it all went away, and I thought, "Why is the world doing this to me?" Yes, quite, quite. But um, everybody was, everybody had their own journey and their own struggles at at that time, and it, it, yeah, it took me a long time to to accept that and accept moving on to whatever was going to be next. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite it was quite a shocker, but obviously you have done. Um, your background, and I don't know if this is the background during the beginning of the pandemic, but your background was as a, a DJ and as a broadcaster, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, so that that was about five or six. Uh, yeah, but five or six years ago, I was um, the breakfast radio presenter for a station called Wave One Hundred Two in in Dundee. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of my dream jobs when I was a little boy. I was I was a little boy who had, you know, two tape players, you know, and I press record on one, and I would do all the talking. I press play on this one, I'd push them together, and I'd make radio shows for my for my friends. Right. So, um, getting to be a, a breakfast breakfast radio presenter was just was just a dream come true. And you, I, I'm saying to remember when we were chatting about it on the phone. You not only got your dream job, but you're actually very good at it as well. I think you turned the radio station around quite a bit, didn't you? All that, certainly that segment of it. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, it sounds really arrogant to say that, but um, in in Dundee there was two two main radio stations. Yeah. So there was there was the big the big uh, radio station that was owned by the massive network um, that I'm sure you know every every city's got. I'm sure London's got hundreds of them, but um, and then there was the the local radio station, which is what we were. Mm. So it started off where the the listenership was about fifteen thousand um, listeners a week, mm. and uh, the other radio station, the big radio station, was getting you know over a hundred thousand listeners mm. per week. But as my show progressed, my listenership doubled. And then, you know, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And the, uh, the other radio stations listenership started to dwindle and it got them to, to kind of sit up and go, oh, hold on a minute. This, this, mm. 
this local radio station's uh you know is 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 playing the game now hmm. and uh but I loved it I loved every single uh, moment of it and to give you to give you an idea of where where we were near the end um I had I had Ollie Murs on my show um yeah. at one point yeah. and when Ollie Murs goes on tour he invites the the local radio DJ to come and host his show. It's normally the the the, the big the big station, you know, the big network station. Mm. And the other breakfast presenter was expecting to get this gig. I had Ollie Murs on the show mm. and um we had such great chemistry together. He asked me live on the show if I would do it. Brilliant. That's the kind of that's the the, the kind of difference that it made I, I loved it I mean honestly it was it was probably one of the best jobs that I had and we'll go into more about what I did after that but that looking back it is rose, rose tinted glasses but I really really loved it great and you you went into that via being a club DJ is that right yeah so I was um I had my own business uh which was uh I was I was a disco DJ so I was like I was the guy who would do your birthday party or really? yeah yeah um <laughs> But I always seen that as a as a, a way to get into radio. It was a it was a good it was good practice for me. Yeah. Um, and it took me it took me a long time to shift my DJ voice. So when I'm doing so, if I was doing a birthday party, I would start speaking like this, and I'd be the radio, I'd be the DJ, and I'd talk like this, you know, like um, we've got smashy and nicey, you know. Yeah. Um. And this, when I got into an actual radio station, they had to try and get that out of me because... <laughs> I'm sure that would have been pretty irritating. Yeah. Could you imagine waking up and, good morning, it's Christian. <laughs> no, from the- turn it off. Go to the next <laughs> station. Absolutely. Uh, that's incredible. Um, and so what was the attraction to you growing up and sort of wanting to be... Because that's... I mean, all of that is quite high profile. That is mm. what I'm getting at. You're having to perform in front of people, either in the studio or live. Um, you're having to. There's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thrive on that. To be honest with you, um, I am. I am a performer. I've all, always have been since I've been a wee boy. You know, right. if if I was standing in front of my parents and you know doing a little show for them when I was five years old to. Um, hosting that Ollie Murs concert in front of 10,000 people um, I always always thrived on it, I loved the energy, I was I was never nervous to perform I was always excited to do it Yeah, you know um, when I was in for example the, the, the hoodie that I'm wearing, this is uh, from um, yeah. a, a musical that I was in uh, the producers yeah. where, where I was the lead based and, on the film uh, yes Yes. Which is, I mean, it's one of the best films around. It's a hilarious story. Oh, it's Mel Brooks, you know, anything Mel Brooks puts, oh, no. puts his hands in, it's, it's, yeah. it's genius. So I, I, I was leading this one, and when I was off stage, I was just counting down the, the seconds till I was back on. Really? Yeah, because I just, I just love being, I, I love performing, I love being in front of people, and, uh, and you know, I'm a bit of a people pleaser, I guess. Yeah. And, I, and I like to know that what I'm putting out there, people are enjoying. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, it's interesting to me because I also know a bit of the backstory. When, when did you first become a dad? Because that's when you, I guess, 
sort of had your first diagnosis, as it were, of mental health struggles or psychological distress? I know yeah. you had them before that, but at what point were you the dad in all of this? At what point had you? So um, 11 years ago, um, that my, my eldest was born yeah. and, um, you know, everybody tells you that when you, you know, when you first hold your child, you get this mm. huge rush of love that, you know, you, you can't imagine your life without them, mm. all the, all this stuff. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love, I love my children. I yeah. loved my children when they yeah. were born as well, but I didn't get that, that instant rush that everybody was talking about. Mm. And I kind of brushed it under the carpet for a little while until the, the midwife or the, the health visitor came to the house and was talking to my wife and was giving her the the postnatal um, checkup mm. and asking her all the questions about postnatal depression. And every every time my wife was answering no to one of the questions that the health visitor was asking, I was on the other side of the room answering yes. Um, In internally. your head, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and internally and uh and it, it, it yeah it made me it made me think that, that okay maybe maybe something's not right here yeah and had that happened during the pregnancy before the pregnancy after the pregnancy or after uh, the birth as it were yeah it was it was after she was born that that all happened um the now here here's where it gets a bit unbelievable i guess is that everything kind of happened really really quickly so um my wife my wife and i and my wife was um seven months pregnant and i'd said do you know what it'd be nice if we if we all had the same so we've been together for for years and we were going to get married um and i said it'd be nice if we all had you know the same surname Mm. and when when the baby's born and that was my subtle way of proposing (laughs) and Sort of. I had get married, uh, or do you want the same surname as yeah. me? Very sort of um, down to a Scottish way of doing it. And in, in fairness, for our tax I, returns, if we get married. <laughs> well, in fairness, I had proposed before, and I had did the big proposal before, but this was just kind of moving the pushing it along a wee bit. Um, so we agreed to get married a month later, and it was hmm. just a really small ceremony. It was in the registry office. There was about fourteen people there. Um, it was a beautiful day. And um, that night, my wife went into labour. Really? On my wedding night. <laughs> the wedding. That's... So this is my honeymoon in, in the delivery yeah. suite. Come yeah. <laughs> so I went from, te- I, technically, I went from being um, a, a single man with no kids to being married with a child in the space of 24 hours. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think... A lot of that that ended up being a lot of pressure coming on as yeah, well. Of course. And growing up, um, my my dad was always, and I'm sure I'm sure you know this, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times before. You know, being the dad of the family, you have to be the provider, you have yeah. to be the man, you have to be strong, you know, all this stuff. Um, at that point, I was working in a in a sales role in an electrical shop, um, not doing very well. Uh, I was very overweight. Um, I wasn't the strong, manly man that that you were supposed to be. My dad was the opposite of that. My dad, you know, was a provider. He was strong. He was a, he was he was and is you know one of the best dads that you could you could have. Mm. And um, 
I put that pressure on myself that I wasn't the provider that I thought I should have been. Mm. And, and I, and I believe, and I, and I obviously talking to my, my doctor and everything after that, um, that was one of the, the main uh, catalysts behind the, the, the diagnosis of postnatal depression. Right. And I mean, it's interesting because I think there's, uh, we're going to come on to male sort of images. I mean, I really identify with um, a lot of what you're saying about the anxiety of suddenly, th- there's a really odd thing that happens, I think, well, it's certainly for me, when my boy came into my life. And, um, and it was almost like overnight, I went into a state of high anxiety, mm-hmm. having expectations of myself that I'd never had before. Um, and I'd known my boy for some time. I, I'm I'm not his birth father, so he came into my life, and then I took responsibility. I remember when I felt like I'd taken responsibility, mm-hmm. and how extremely anxious I got about, I suppose, the narratives in my head about being the provider and taking responsibility. What that meant, because I'm old enough to be of the generation of guys that had that programmed into them. And I definitely didn't feel up to it, even though I was objectively without a doubt, but I didn't feel up to it at all. Um, And and I found it, um, you know, it was really tough. And I remember a friend of mine once said to me, no, you know why you're anxious? And I was like, no, I'm just really, well, you're just taking responsibility for a whole family overnight. (laughs) Are you surprised that you're freaking out? (laughs) Yeah, all of a sudden you're responsible for keeping this human alive yeah it's 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 mad really when you think about it yeah Yeah, i i remember on my my daughter's uh, my daughter's first birthday at midnight obviously it was our it was it was our wedding anniversary as well obviously and at midnight um my wife and i high-fived and we were and we were like excellent we've kept her alive for a year brilliant let's see if we can do another one yeah yeah, a reasonable response. Um, it's interesting, though. The, the other thing that's interesting is that um, uh, people just don't think that guys get postnatal depression because the marketing around postnatal depression is literally it's postnatal. Mm-hmm. It's you have to give birth to have this thing, and I guess that was inside you as well at the time. That must be quite surprising yeah. listening to these questions and thinking. Yes, 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 but I'm I'm not the mum, so it couldn't be right. Yeah, and 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 that kind of takes me back to the, the 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 stigma, I suppose, surrounding being a dad, because you're not supposed to feel like that. Yeah, you know, you're supposed to be this strong provider. Um, but what I find, um, and and it's really interesting that you use the word uh, marketing behind postnatal depression because yeah. you are absolutely right. It is not. Um, it's not deemed, I can't even think of the right word here, but I'm going to say trendy, you know, or whatever for, for men to, to be suffering this. You know, it is the marketing um, that's, uh, that's doing that. But um, I mean, literally all it means is depression that might come as a result of a birth doesn't necessarily, it actually isn't, has never really technically mm-hmm. from a mental health perspective been linked to the act of giving birth. Yeah, it's only um, depression that is noticed after a birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and I understand that. But the the 
when when you i mean i'm i mean because i know you got a very positive response from your gp didn't you when mm-hmm. you went to your gp and said how long did it take you from this sort of self you know, I, I guess you didn't say anything to the health visitor or your wife in that room at the time no no i, I kept that i kept that to myself and um it did, you know it did cause i i think i was scared yeah I, I was i was scared to admit that and again it's taking me back to this provider thing I, I was scared to admit that um i was in my own eyes i guess that uh, feeling yeah. as a as a dad um and it, it, it did it took me a long time to kind of to to get myself around that and when i when I get depressed or when I have issues like that and I bottle them up, they do manifest themselves in different, different ways. Right. Um, when I was, when I was 16, for example, um, and my, my grand passed away, um, quite suddenly. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, that was the first death I ever experienced. And, um, I didn't really grieve it properly, but I ended up self-harming. Okay. Um, so that was that was that that way of um, of, of letting just, it out. If you don't mind saying, just for people who may not, and I know what you mean by self harm. Mm-hmm. Deal with it all the time. What you, what you mean is cutting yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I was actually talking about this today. Actually, and uh, you know, you a lot of people who self harm would, would cut their arms or, or yeah. somewhere hidden. I did it in my forehead. Right. I have no idea why. I, I, I wanted I, maybe I wanted people to see that I was suffering. I don't know. There's, there's typically there are hidden places, and then there are places mm. can be seen. That generally is how deliberate self harm manifests. Yeah. And for those that choose places where it can't be seen, there are strong components of shame. And for those that don't choose that, that show visible places, there's strong components of I need some help. Yeah. So, so required. Um, as I as I got older, I kind of I, I outgrew that, and so it would it would again it would manifest itself in different ways. Whether it be... I'm talking about how it functioned for you, because again, I don't think people I I it's, I know people don't understand deliberate self harm and how uh-huh. it functions. I do because I've worked with it a lot. Um, do you mind saying sort of what it did for you, what it gave to you? Because there are specific things that it helps people with, and it does for people. Yeah, and I, and I, I do think I do think it's a dangerous word to use to, to, to use the word help because I don't think it is a as a help. But and at the time and when when you're doing it, technically, it I would call it a maladaptive yeah. coping strategy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when I when I did it, and I would uh, and I don't know how much detail I should go into here, but when I when I Wait, let's. Of, be aware of triggers for people. Yeah, who yeah. So trigger warning if you are deliberately self-harming these days you may not want to listen you may want to listen it's okay but if you do feel triggered do talk to somebody about it and um, we'll put up links towards helpful organizations at the end of the show so that's the trigger warning you don't need to go into a massive amount of detail it's more about how did it function emotionally for you why were you doing it it was a release right and and that i mean that's the only way I can describe it is it was it was building up, it was building up inside me, and it had to come out somehow. So when when I did, you know, cut my forehead and the blood and it was bleeding, that blood to me was the the release. That was those 
emotions coming out. And yeah. this is this is the mid nineties we're talking about. It was it was a time when men or, or boys weren't encouraged to talk about our feelings. Um, yeah, so I mean, that... I, I, I get that, but I would also say there's still a lot of deliberate self harm that happens for young people, and any of them that are listening to this should understand that it, it's um, something that we do understand very well. And and for people who might be listening who you know, have a young person in their life or a partner in their life um, who is engaged in deliberate deliberate self-harm, it can appear very, very frightening to the witness. And indeed, it is a very frightening thing, but it it has a function in people's life, which makes sense. And your description is is a very common description that I come across of people that there, there seems to be two main functions for it. One is the release valve, that sense of release and the blood seems to be implicated in that. The other one, which I don't think you used it for, was when people are so overwhelmed, they're numbed out and the physical pain of the harm brings them into their body and dramatic uh-huh. experiencing again, because that's that sense of extremely numbed out can also be very frightening and overwhelming in and of itself. No, I can I can I can understand that, but yeah. um, as as the postnatal depression went on, obviously I, I was I was more I, I was an adult, um, and and I and I I wasn't I, I chose not to self harm, but it did man- manifest itself in a different way, um, where I was I was I was spe- basically I was spending money that we didn't have, you know I I wanted all the 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 latest things. You know, I wanted the big TV. I wanted the latest. I, I like the latest, um, the latest tablets. I wanted all this sort of stuff. Right. I couldn't afford. Couldn't afford to pay for it, but I still wanted it, and I still got it. Um, and that that almost almost cost me my marriage. Right. You know, it was. Uh, I guess you weren't talking to your wife about what was going on. No, no, not at that mo- not at that time. Right. Not not, not at that time. So the first um, time she understood. There's a problem is when you're almost bankrupt, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'll give you a, a specific story on that. Um, there was one specific day where I'd, I'd gotten one of the latest tablets and I hadn't paid for it. I had made my payments, so somebody had come to the door, hmm. um, basically looking for the money. I wasn't in, um, and the the person had confronted my wife. My wife had obviously gotten upset and embarrassed. Um, and what what my wife did, like my wife didn't speak to her family about it. She went and spoke to my family about it, um, because my my mom would have was going to give her an honest answer regardless. And my mom said said to her, you know, leave him. You know, he does, he doesn't deserve you. Just go, leave him. And um, it was later that day that I was having a conversation with my dad, um, and this kind of takes me back to because I always look up to my dad. And he said to me, he said, if I lose those girls because of you, I will never forgive you. Mm. And that that one sentence was the wake-up call. Mm. Because, um, yeah, because I've always, looked, I've always looked up to my dad. My dad never, ever spoke about his emotions. So when he said something like that, like, you know, I will never forgive you, mm. that was was huge coming from him and how long did that as it were downfall take how long did it take to get to that point i think we were uh, about four years in by that point mm. um 
because my second child was here by then. Um, and yeah, so so it was about four years, and that, that's four years of keeping that. And that's with that treatment or help for yeah. the reason why you were acting out in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's quite sort of serious. Um, I mean, obviously, the consequences are quite serious in terms of, um, I mean, and again, for people that don't understand, um, just check, that might be, um, for people that don't understand, um, this sort of self-medication through purchasing mm-hmm. um, is a well-known thing. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be online shopping, as it was in your case. Uh, mm-hmm. in, indeed, it could also be people um, becoming hypersexual and acting out with prostitutes, etc. cetera. Um, but it, it, again, it's a very common story for me. Um, and it, it's a very common sort of thing for guys to do who are not getting the help and they don't realize that what this is is an expression of psychological distress. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And because the, I guess you got some sense when you purchased something of relief, didn't you? You got some sense of yeah, a buzz um, or happiness for a short yeah, period of time. Because, because I felt that having, you know, the big TV or the, 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 latest, the latest stuff, um, because I had that stuff in my house. It was demonstration was, of providing yeah. being successful and yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I, I understand that totally. So you've reached this point where, you know, um, there are consequences piling up. Mm-hmm. Um, you may be going to lose your relationship, um, access to your children, um, a, a rupture in your relationship with your father, which I understand that that would be profoundly frightening to you. Yeah. All of those consequences. What was your next step after that then? What did you do? Um, so... Um, I, as far as I remember, and you know, we're also talking a good few years ago now, but I, I believe that when 
when things get really well, things got really, really bad between my wife and I, we would always have this um this I would always call it a come to Jesus talk, where we would just we would sit and we would talk about everything, we'd be really, really open mm. about things. And and it was during that conversation where I agreed that I would go and speak to the a GP. Right. And Sorry, I'm smiling because it's like such a classic bloke thing to do. You almost have to destroy your life before you go to your doctor and say, I'm struggling. Yeah. It's like, seriously, guys, please don't do this. So I'm sorry. In retrospect, it's amusing. It must have been pretty horrifying at the time, I think. Yeah, but I agree with you. I agree with you. Men, like, men as a species are just um, sometimes... I don't know what's wrong with us. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with us. well, how, how many holes do you need to dig before you realise you're in a hole and how big do you have to be? So, um, so, so the ultimatum is, so that the worst thing that could possibly happen is you have to go and get help. That's, yeah. that's your punishment, right? Yeah. Sort of and like, so I went, I went to speak to, it was uh, and I, uh, Dr. McGregor, I don't mind naming her, you know, she's in my book. I talk about her um, like with, with, um, with a lot of respect. Um, she when I explained to her what I was going through, she knew right away and she was, she wasn't afraid to diagnose it Yeah. either, which I, I believe is a kind of a, a big deal as well, because having <laughs> to diagnose a postnatal depression in a man is, uh, must be, must be quite big. Um, and it's funny because then knowing what it was, it helped me start to overcome what what I was going through. Obviously, I was I end up being on medication, which is you know fine. I've got no shame on that. I've got no shame about being on medication. That, so you got some SSRIs, I presume, citalopram or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, um, and I've got no shame in admitting I'll probably be on that for the rest of my life. It, it's fine. I don't care. It's it's helped me become you know who I am, um, and yeah, things just started to. To, to change when that came during that time what were you doing for a living what was your career at that point uh, so at that point i was still working in sales i was i was working as, as a salesperson in, in a major electrical store um not the one you were getting all these goodies from i hope no 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 not at all <laughs> no um so yeah and the thing is my manager at that place didn't understand or no. didn't didn't accept depression as a as a reason to be off, you know all this. So it wasn't long before I before I left that job, um, f- more for my own well being than, than anything else. And, and you get the diagnosis from your doctor, you get the medication, mm-hmm. you then go what go back to the job and say, look, I've got this depression thing, and then you get a knock back from this guy who yeah, he's, he's just like depressed himself. Yeah, I'm not buying it. it. That's basically that's what he says. I'm not. I'm not buying it. That's not. That's not what you know. And I and I and he was he was angry every time I handed in my two week sick line. You know to say that, and I I didn't need that kind of negativity in my life. So, um, when I, I ended up leaving that job, and again I was unemployed for a, for a good while, um, after that, but it was okay because we were looking after ourselves for a change. Yeah. You know, the, um, 
and that's when I started to, to pursue the, the radio dream. Mm. And because I figured, okay, I'm not working now. What, what, what can I do with myself? Where can I earn a wee bit of extra money? And I got myself into some community radio um, and volunteered um, there. And this is where things started to turn because I started to realize that I can make things happen for me. Mm. You know, think I can, I can, I can do things and I can make things happen. So it's pre- get, to give you a prime example, when when I worked in this radio station, uh, worked volunteered at this radio station, I asked for a a slot where I could talk about professional wrestling because I'm a big wrestling fan. I'll never, never deny that. And um, are we talking American WWF yeah. or are we talking Saturday morning? What I grew up on Saturday morning: Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy. I, I, I do love the history of the, the giant haystacks and big yeah. daddy stuff. I love I love um kind of looking back at that. But it is essentially the American stuff, the you know, the Undertakers, the Hulk Hogan's, all those sort of people. Um so I interviewed this one guy who his name was Eric Bischoff, and um the interview went really, really well. And he tweeted out, you know, after the interview and he said, I've never had such a professional interview. Um it's, it was great, it was great chatting to you. And I thought to myself, I could I could do something with this, and I knew that Eric was close friends with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so I just I, I opened up my email and I says, okay, so you've you've had a good time here, you've had a, a, a great chat with me. Do you think Hulk Hogan would be interested in chatting to me? <laughs> and he said, he said, leave it with me, and right. that's the last I thought about it. Two days later, I got an email from him, and he says, yeah, Terry's interested. Here's his number. Wow. Um, and I got Hulk, and I've still got it. I've still got it to this day in my phone. I've got Hulk Hogan's phone number. Absolutely amazing. And um, for people that don't know, I mean, I know who Hulk Hogan is. He, he was absolutely, I mean, if people think about the Dwayne Johnson, the rock mm-hmm. now. Hulk Hogan was at that level. Yeah. When he really was. We were there today during his time. And then Dwayne took that, the rock took that mantle on. But um, really extraordinary performer as well. I mean, yeah, one of the best, well, I'd say best, not best, but one of the biggest wrestling names yeah. um, that, 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 that there ever was. So we had that interview and it was great. And, and then I, I, again, I'm starting to realise that, hold on a minute, I can, I can, make, I can make good things happen if I, if I, if I, can, if I really try. And that's when I started really pushing for the for the radio career. When with Weave 102, I, I literally phoned them every single day for a year <laughs> before I before I even got through the door for for an interview. To, it's to that cover. Chris Bloke yep. again. Oh, Jesus Christ, who's gonna talk to him today? It's him with that voice, <laughs> that stupid DJ voice. <laughs> um but eventually they got me up and we had a wee chat and I and I, I got to cover for somebody who went away on holiday for two weeks. Um had a great time, um, got paid to be on the radio, which is you know huge for me. Yeah. And um eventually got offered the drive time slot in, in, in that place. And it was it was just it was all up from there. It was brilliant. Well, it already but, was up, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, it's an extraordinary story because there's such a clean, clear demarcation mm-hmm. between when you were in the vicious circle of um, inappropriate um, coping strategies, maladaptive coping strategies that were making the situation worse, which is what maladaptive coping strategies do eventually, mm-hmm. to 
having the diagnosis, getting the help, and then moving into what we call a virtuous circle. Things start to improve and they start to improve exponentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then over a period of time, you begin to really realize your own internal resources and that gets reinforced with success. In the chosen field, you become more authentic. You start pursuing your dreams. You start having dreams again and you start putting them into action. And then you get positive reinforcement from that. So, I mean, it's a classic story and one that needs to be heard and needs to be rammed down blokes' throats mm-hmm. as much as possible because these are the transformations that happen. Yeah. The the, the one message that I always try and tell people um, and it's is the fact that when when I because when I, I sent you a copy of my book, um, but that wasn't the original title. Big yeah. boys do cry that 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 wasn't the original title. The original title was "Me versus Me: How to Win the Fight Against Your Own Worst Enemy," yeah. and that's that's what it was. I was the only person standing in, in my way of the relative success that I ended up having. Yeah, um, it was me that was stopping me. Nobody yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. Um, there was another book you wrote as well, wasn't there? Or is this the one? Yeah, no, the, the, the main the main one that kind of sparked everything after that. So um to kind of take you on the on the journey yeah. a wee bit, I had, I had three years at the radio station. Um great, great time. Um unfortunately the radio station was sold um and the presenters didn't come with the station. So for me at that point the dream was over mm-hmm. you know and I'm, I'm sure you get this and i'm sure plenty of other people get this where you get this imposter syndrome when you're doing really well and you think i don't really deserve to I, i'm somebody's going to find me out somebody's going to find me out and I'm, I'm i'm it's going to be over that's what that's going to happen about me you know yeah <laughs> so um the, the day that I, I lost the job i was like well, well that's it it's over i've been found out i need to go and do you know our Go back to sales with that horrible man. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> yeah. And so what I ended up doing, because I, I, I did work in catering for a long time as well. I, I went back to my catering roots okay. and ended up working as a, a food and beverage supervisor for, for one of the local, um, uh, I don't know what you would call it, resorts hmm. up here. And it was at that point. Not one I, of McDonald, I hope. No, 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 no. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been specifically told I'm not allowed to say anything about that. So you just don't put words <laughs> in my mouth. Um, We're so, allowed. He's no longer in power. He's never <laughs> get back in power. I hope. So um, yeah, so I, I did that job for a while, and it was in that job that I, I wrote Lucy's Blue Day. Yes, that's the book I thinking. Yeah, which is a children's book. So, um, and that that came about through me recognizing some really familiar traits in my 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 daughter so she was eight years old and i was sitting i was sitting at the bottom of her bed Mm. helping her get to sleep and we were just having a wee chat and she says she says to me daddy do you ever like do you ever not like being you yeah and and i was like well yeah and i remember feeling like that at eight years old i remember those feelings and for me obviously because I didn't address those feelings and I didn't, I didn't speak about them. That caused me a lot of problems later on in my life. And I didn't want my children to have these issues. 
So that night, I literally, I got my phone out and I, I opened up the notes app and I said, and I, and I started writing this poem about the little girl whose hair changes colour when she feels different emotions. Great. And That's fantastic. And I, I sat on it. I sat on it for about six months. I didn't do anything with it. And eventually I, I let my wife read it. And she says, Chris, this is great. Um, you should you should turn this into a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, do something with it. Turn it into an app so we can see our kids' moods with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like that so, would be a superb filter on actually, Instagram. That's a great, that's a great idea, actually. Um we should do that. You yeah, we write that down. An um, and then we can sort of change our moods and our colours. Yeah. yeah, I love it. So um so my wife suggested that we get it illustrated and turn it into a book. And I, I should say as well that this book, um it, it, I didn't intend on it going public. I, I genuinely wrote it for, for one set of eyes, and that was it. Yeah. Um, but when we did find the illustrator, yes, of course, a professional illustrator, going to cost a lot of money, um, money that I didn't have. So that's when we went public and we started to crowdfund for it. Yeah. And we realised that there was a lot of interest yeah. there. And I'd, I'd raised about £1,500. For for the for to pay the illustrators of five hundred pounds short, and and again this is where the story takes a, a strange, a unbelievable turn, because I got a text message from a friend of mine, um, her name's Leslie. She doesn't mind being named, uh, and she says, Chris, I've seen what you're doing. Uh, you're doing with your book. I really, I really like love what you're doing. Um, I, I would like to help. Now that might to to the average person that might seem well that's a really nice thing for somebody to do maybe go maybe give a couple of hundred pound things like that but what what we didn't realize was about a month prior leslie had won the lottery no and i'm and i'm i'm and not even just and i'm not even i'm not saying win the lottery and she got five numbers and won a couple of hundred grand no this, this lady, Leslie, she won, she got six numbers on the Euro Millions and really? won £58 million pounds a month prior to sending <laughs> me this message. Brilliant. So she ended up becoming the prime investor in the thing and she, she ended up uh, paying in maybe about 15 to 20 grand, you know, getting the first run of books done and dolls and really, really helped us out at the beginning. Yeah. And once it started to get out there in the public domain, the demand for it was just, it was unbelievable. Mm. You know, before COVID, I was, I was up and down the country, you know, from as, as high up as Aberdeen to as low down as Somerset to across mm. in Belfast, mm. visiting three schools a day, five days a week, um, giving these mental health talks mm. to children. And when you think to where where I was just a few years before that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it was it, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. But it's also I one thing that really strikes me is this the sort of the that we often talk about and I think we quite rightly the the benefits of mental health support for the people who have psychological distress like yourself or like myself but we don't often talk about what you did, which is the preventative work with your own child. But actually, uh, another father who's not come to terms with his own distress may have brushed aside his little girl's question, Mm -hmm. may have said, 
oh, don't be silly. You're all fine. Don't worry, darling. Da, 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 da. But you didn't. You recognised it for what it was. And you weren't afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And you were able to say, yeah, I get it. I, I've been through that and I understand it. And you were able to help her understand her feelings and role model a way as an adult dealing with these complicated issues and then turning into a really turning on its head creatively, which seems to be something that you do. There's something about you <laughs> transform into sort of creativity. Can people still get hold of the book? Yeah. Yeah. All, all my books are on, uh, are on Amazon. Um, uh, they're, they're just, yeah, you just need to stick on the search engine, you know, Lucy's Blue so Day. James or... will do that and yeah, James yeah. will post out a link. So say the title of it again. Yeah, so Lucy's Blue Day, or Archie unplugs the internet, or um, Big Boys Do Cry. That's yeah. the, the the three books that I've got out there. Okay, so James will put out links to, them to make it easy for people to. Um, so you, you write this book, you get this angel investor, mm-hmm. um, and and again, there's these sort of um, virtual circles of growth and development going on. What was the sort of next step for you, Chris? So I I had hoped that I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I, I, I'd hoped that, you know, I was, I would get to, to visit all these different schools and visit, like maybe go worldwide with it, you know, yeah. because it was, it was growing and it was growing at a quite a dramatic pace yeah. um, at points. Um, but then the pandemic hit and everything stopped, you know? So, to, to to try and to try and bring you to, to to where I was thinking at that point is that you know my wife and I um we 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 struggled financially most of our lives you know we were living paycheck to paycheck it didn't help that I was buying stupid big TVs and things like that but or big microphones but we listen yeah. that this was this was a this was a number one bestseller part yeah all right all right, all right all right sorry I pressed the button now I apologize <laughs> um. <laughs> So, yeah, so we we struggled like we we struggled a lot throughout our life, particularly financially. And then when the book started to do really really well, you know, we 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 started to earn a bit a bit more money, and we were comfortable. And it was like, yeah, this is it. This is our this is our after, so to speak. This is our this is this, this is the end of our story. Yeah. And then COVID came. Everything stopped, mm. book sales stopped, the school visits stopped, um, and and the, the and frankly the the income stopped as well. And that's where I said at the beginning, um, I started to take it really personally. I was like, why has the universe done this to me? Yeah. Why is it giving me a taste of this success and then just taking it away? Yeah. Um, and again, my wife savior of everything that i've ever done and i'm saying that because she's right in front of me just now and i'm 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 being a sook um but she's she's she suggested that i i try therapy because the the, the obviously you'll know yourself therapist's job isn't to go okay i've got rid of covid you can go back and do your school visits now no that's not what their job their job is to help you come to terms with the situation that you are in now mm-hmm. and and that's what that's what my therapist ended up doing she helped me get through this like this personal thing where i thought the world had a personal vendetta against me mm-hmm. and my family 
um, to to eventually accept that you know it's not just me that's going through this; the entire world is going through this. Um, everybody has has had their own. I'm laughing because I'm identifying. I mean, I, I suppose I also can make a pandemic personal. I have no doubt. I mean, it's, it's possible, and I think probably 99% of the guys listening to this really get that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, a global event like a pandemic is literally that, but it can feel very personal, can't it? Yeah, and it really did. And I, I, I would get, you know, jealous almost of, of people who would, who turned the pandemic into a bit of a success. Yeah. You know, there were, I mean, there's people that, you know, there's even podcasters out there who, well, I found them intensely irritating, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, same. Same, and I actually had to... Had to be to honest, I don't think I was on my own with that. Yeah. It's like, I, it wasn't... I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people, I've got, like, strong social anxiety problems. I'm mm-hmm. sort of more introvert than most people realise. So the first stay-at-home order was, like, I actually did thrive because... Uh, not having any social contact and somebody telling me I can't, I'm not allowed to, mm-hmm. was just fine. But as it dragged on, it wasn't fine. It was really, really tough. Yeah. Um, sort of psychologically, it was very distressing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, so my, so my, th- my therapist helped me get through that and 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 helped me accept the fact that you know I might not get to do it again, and I might not get to go into the schools, and I might not get to 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 do all that stuff. Um, so and that sounds it. like you were grieving. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, this one of the theories of postpartum uh, depression is that it is a form of grieving because you don't get the beautiful, wonderful sort of uh, attachment that everybody promises you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, and you then get these grim things. So there's a, there's quite a bit of. Uh, lost to process as well so uh, it sounds a bit like both of those things yeah and that is that is exactly what it was I remember telling my therapist that I I pictured Lucy um the character of the book as you know my my fourth child yeah that's that's the the impact that she had on her life that that she was like the fourth child and then all of a sudden she was taken away from us and it was it was it was heartbreaking but as I said, my therapist helped me through it and helped me realize that, you know, I might not get to do it again. I'll come to terms with that. You know, the book's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. It's always, the book will be, be here long after I'm gone. Yeah. And it will still be helping people. And that, that's what's important to me. Um, and, and, yeah, now that we're kind of heading out, of the, heading out of the other side of the pandemic, hopefully, yeah. um, I'm now... I've found a career path that I can really thrive in, which is uh, charity. I work. I work for a children's charity right. um, here in uh, in Tayside. And you led um, which one? Yeah, yeah. It's the the Archie Foundation. Okay. Um, they what, what they look them up and put a link as well. Yeah, yeah. Tell so us the, Ar- the Archie Foundation and what they do. Yeah. So the Archie Foundation, um, they they help. The long and short is they help. We help sick children, but. It's more to do with because um, uh, uh, visiting hospital is is not a pleasant experience for anybody. So our job is to try and lighten that experience. Okay. Bit. So we take what the NHS have given and we make it better. Okay. 
You know, so we've just we're just about to open up a brand new surgical ward at Nine Wells Hospital in Dundee, which yeah. um which cost which we raised two million pounds to uh to, to make. And I, I was in the ward actually about about last week, and you forget that you're in an NHS hospital because mm-hmm. it's 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 beautiful this ward. But that's the sort of things that we do, and my job is to fundraise for them. So you make those environments like child and family friendly. Yeah. So that the kids coming in, the families coming in, it's not a cold clinical experience. It's welcoming and yeah. family or child oriented. Um, yeah. which is much needed because that reduce, reduces the trauma yeah. and the, the impact. And, and so what's your role within the organisation and what is it that you do, Chris? So I, um, uh, I, I, I fundraise for them. My, my, my job is to fundraise and to bring in the, the income to help pay for the services that we provide, um, which could be anything. I can, I can, I can um, encourage people to fundraise for us. I've got people, um, like, for example, I've got people going up all the uh, the art with well, the arches. I don't know. I, I didn't know this, right? But um, a mountain over a thousand meters or a thousand kilometers, I can't remember, is called an archie. So... We've got 140 different people. Meters, not kilometers, I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mountaineer. A thousand so, kilometers is like you're heading towards the moon. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. But it shows you what I know. Yeah. Um, so we've got like 140 different people climbing all the arches in Scotland in, right. in one day. Right. You know, we'll get things. Like I've got a win your wedding competition going out where people can fundraise. So it's it's great fun. I get to fundraise. And I get to help children, which is what I've, I, I seem to have found my niche, basically. So it strikes me, Dad, who isn't a very good provider for his own children in his own head way back then, that here you are having dealt with, come to terms with your mental health issues and live with them because they don't ever go away they're still part of us mm-hmm. you're now a fantastic provider for many of other people's children as well that's that's quite an extraordinary transformation are you aware of that chris i and until you just said it um i i wasn't and it's almost poetic the way you this put it as well extraordinary it's yeah. sort of like you've gone from this guy who sees himself as so much of a failure, not even so much of a failure, they can't even talk about it. I can't provide for my own family to fundraising and providing for other people's fame, families that are struggling and, and, and putting back into society. I mean, that's a wonderful fathering that you're doing and provision of resources and it's an extraordinary journey that you are still on actually, but but that's, I mean, it's what a beautiful story. Oh, you don't, don't do this. You're going to get me all going. Don't, don't. <laughs> I'm allowed to get you going. I remember I lived in Scotland. I know what that's it's... true. <laughs> so, I mean, I... but it is has that really never occurred to you before? That it that genuinely happened? hasn't. Gen, honestly, genuinely hasn't until you just said it there. And it's, um, and it, your you dad know, must be so proud of you these days. He must be looking at his son. And he probably doesn't tell it to you because Scottish dads don't, except for your generation. His generation definitely won't. But he must be blown away by what you're achieving. Yeah, I would like to to think so. I would would really, really like to think so. And he, since he became a a granddad, um, he 
he has been a lot more open about his feelings and you know is people always say apparently being a grandfather is like is like the second chance of being a dad again but a lot of parents or children of the grandparents like you the son there there can be some resentment about it but it's always the case that the grandparents do a better job with the grandchildren they do with their own children (laughs) yeah that's the way it is it's sort of like a law of growing up so he he is a lot more open about his feelings and stuff now and he has um and not so many words has expressed you know his pride or you know how how... i would hope so i mean you are you are a remarkable person chris i mean a really truly extraordinary story that you've got well i I appreciate you saying that that's uh Yes, I, I didn't expect it to turn like this, but yeah, but thank you. I'd really appreciate yes, I mean, that. You go from somebody digging a hole, sort of in sort of toxic consumerism, to outfitting surgical wards. I mean, that's quite a turnaround, mate. <laughs> You've <laughs> got to admit that that's quite a turnaround. Sort of. Okay, like. I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you. It's sort of the interesting thing is, is it's, it's using exactly the same skills, which is getting a load of dosh and spending it on stuff. So well done. <laughs> I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, it's the same skill set, but just used in a much more positive way. Um, I mean, it's also, it's remarkable, and I think this is the story here, is that for most people who come to terms with their psychological distress, they become assets rather than drains to the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we need to be helping people. Yeah. We become an asset um, and uh, because we come to terms with it, we become uh, a useful member of society again when we support people. And in your case, it was just a prescription for citalopram. Poor old little citalopram gets a little stick, but it's a bloody helpful drug at times, isn't it? It, it, it really is. It really is. And it, it, it helped me and it's still helping me, you know, yeah. today. So James will have put the link out. As you can see, I'm winding us up because... Uh, we are sort of at the end of the show. I told you, everybody says to me when we have the pre-show chat, oh, an hour, I haven't got a lot to say for an hour. <laughs> uh, but we always run out of time like this, and you're surprised that we're at the end of the show, right? Yes, uh, for Everybody is. Um, Chris, I mean, I haven't heard such a remarkable story of transformation in a long time, actually. I mean, it, yours is a genuinely remarkable story of transformation, and you've shared it in a very humble and straightforward way i would say in a very scottish way i mean i'm used to scottish people underplaying their heroism <laughs> sort of it's 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 pretty much genetically programmed into scots not to blow their own trumpet but i'm going to blow it for you it is a remarkable story chris and it's a remarkable transformation from uh, where you were to where you are now it's a fantastic story and i'm i'm so glad to have heard it really well, thank you. I appreciate you saying so, and and yeah. thank you for um for having me. It's been oh, a pleasure. I love it. It's it's a it's a great. I'm going away for a couple of weeks on holiday. I'm off to this place. Hence I see it. Um, so I'm off to Rio to see my boy on Monday. So I won't be here for the next couple of weeks, folks. You'll have James to put up some repeats. But this is what a gift 
your stories are, are feels like a real gift to me, Chris, um, to take with me uh, on my holiday for the next couple of weeks. Um, so stay there. I'm going to wrap the show up. But I want you to stay there as I say goodbye to people. So, folks, I'll see you in live three weeks time. Uh, I hope you all have um, a wonderful time in the meantime. Um, and I'll come back looking horribly tanned and you know you can all be desperately sort of jealous and uh, envious of me and say all sorts of horrible things too I won't care because I'll have been on a beach for two weeks so there you, <laughs> you can feel whatever you like I'll be happy uh, or I'll be miserable actually because I'll be back in London <laughs> so there you go um, but um, it's been a wonderful evening um, I'm going to say goodbye and I'll see you all live in three weeks time so goodbye for now <laughs>